Hello and welcome to another episode of Play Like a Girl. This year we'll be talking about the last two weeks of In My Defense since we didn't have an episode over Thanksgiving break. We'll also be talking about Sam Darnold and the FIFA World Cup. First of all, we'll go through the UW athletic schedule for this weekend. Tonight, women's basketball will be playing Idaho at Idaho at 6 p.m. Women's volleyball is hosting the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament and will be playing LIU Brooklyn at 7.30 p.m. If they win that game, they'll continue to play on Saturday evening against the winner of the Hawaii-Illinois match, which will be happening earlier that day. On Sunday, women's basketball will be versus Portland at 1.30 p.m. and that'll be at home. Men's basketball will be versus Nebraska at 4 p.m. That's also at home. Getting right into it with my column from last week, which was about the concept of femininity as a female athlete. So basically, the field hockey championship in the NCAA just happened, and one thing I noticed about field hockey is that they still wear skirts as part of their uniforms. This also applies in women's lacrosse, in tennis, in women's golf. It was interesting to look at and see what female athletes who do play the sports say about wearing skirts, and a lot of them really embrace it and like to embrace their femininity and show that they're female athletes, but a lot of them say that it makes them feel like lesser athletes because they do have that female qualifier. And so basically people have very different views of how femininity is articulated in athletics, which are usually seen as inherently masculine. Basically talked about how the important, most important part of this is that in all of these sports, women do have a choice of what they wear. Not necessarily in like private high school teams and club teams and stuff like that, but most professional leagues involving these sports do give women a choice of what they want to wear and if they would rather wear a skirt or shorts. Yeah, I agreed with what you had to say. I just said that I think that at this point we should be past the fact of designating something as absolutely like feminine or masculine and they should just be able to wear what they're comfortable with. Because I think in these sports especially, I don't think that wearing a skirt versus shorts restrict anything or kind of, you know, make the job harder. So I think that it should just be up to their own discretion what they find comfortable. There was one thing that you brought up in your article with the idea of athletes being like, instead of them being male or female, like like an athlete being like a neutral person, which I thought was really interesting. And like not thinking of it, okay, this is like a male sport, this is a female sport, therefore the she has to have the option of wearing skirts, but like being an athlete is like your primary identifier and your your gender identity kind of like melts into your play. That kind of, I don't know, it linked up to the, like the link that you had in the article about the boxing in the ring. And the man said that if girls didn't wear, when they wore shirt, like shorts, that they were indistinguishable from men. And I thought that was kind of, I don't know, I think it's ridiculous. Just kind of back to the like neutral thing, like they should be seen, seen primarily as an athlete. And I don't think that they should be forced to identify with one or the other. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we need to be like, hey, this is a female athlete. I think we can just say, you know, like, if you enjoy boxing, it doesn't matter what the person is wearing. It, I mean, there's definitely some, like, your typical boxing uniform. You should have a helmet so you don't get injured and things like that. But I do think that the idea that you have to wear a skirt to distinguish that you are not a male boxer was pretty... Uh, Like, clearly a lot of female boxers were very offended by it, and a lot of women in general were very offended by it, because I don't think that distinguishing that is necessary, because they're still boxers, and they're still athletes. Mm -hmm. Didn't one of them make it mandatory, I know you said? 
or in the article it said like when they were actually forced to wear the skirt like mm-hmm. the skirts instead of it being a choice yeah it was mandatory and then there was so much of a like uproar that they said that you could choose between a skirt sh- or shorts and some female boxers do choose to wear skirts but a lot of them don't mm-hmm. and it's the same with especially in so uh, i quoted some women's professional lacrosse players in the article and some of them do believe that they prefer wearing skirts just because they look nicer and because they they think they're more comfortable, but some women think that shorts are more comfortable, so I think it really depends on the person. One thing in one of the sources that I looked at, one of the women that the source talked to said that basically as long as you're wearing the same color and you look uniform, it shouldn't matter whether it's a skirt or shorts because, you know, what you're wearing doesn't really matter. It's more about your play. Yeah, that's also the point that I think that I was surprised by the boxing, I guess, because you also said this in your article, but when it's a team sport, like, your outfits have to be coherent. Like, they have to look the same, you know, you're as a team. But in an individual sport, I just thought it was odd that it would be a problem. Like, I mean, I know where it's coming from and, like, what people believe about femininity and masculinity, but I just thought that it'd be different almost and not to the point where it'd actually be mandatory because it's an individual sport. It should just be what they want to do. Yeah, I think as long as there's a choice, there's no problem. And if there are athletes who feel that they want to feel more feminine when they're playing and they want to wear a skirt because of that, that's fine. It's just having the choice is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not structuring the idea. And just like the concept of femininity shouldn't be structured around what someone's wearing mm-hmm. and someone's athletic ability should mm-hmm. not be. So how you think of an athlete should not be determined on what they wear. Yeah, like being an athlete, athlete isn't inherently masculine as some people see it as, but also... That's why a lot of people want to assert their femininity. I think, you know, if you want to be feminine and feel feminine, then, like, it doesn't really matter, and it doesn't really affect your athleticism. So we'll talk about this week. This has been a pretty pretty big story lately. So the University of Tennessee was attempting to hire Greg Schiano, who is a assistant coach at Ohio State currently. The University of Tennessee fans were not really a big fan of that idea. This image has been going around a lot. Just um, so University of Tennessee has this big rock that they paint with like stuff like supporting their football team. This week it was painted with Shiano covered up child rape at Penn State. So everyone knows the story of Jerry Sandusky and his like decades of child molestation and abuse that was covered up while he was at Penn State. And Greg Schiano did assistant coach at Penn State with um, Sandusky for five years. Um, however, his name never came up in the trial. He was never convicted of anything. And, you know, the lawyers who were prosecuting Sandusky really went after a lot of people involved in the case. Basically, there's nothing tying Schiano to it other than the fact that he worked with Sandusky. But this did result in them deciding to not hire him. He had already signed something saying that, and they were going to announce it, but people found out and they decided to protest against that. And so um, now University of Tennessee is continuing to look for a new coach. So basically what I talked about is like how we are starting to take sexual assault and things like that more seriously in the world of sports and how that's really important, but also that, you know, there's nothing saying that Greg Shiona was involved and so this is a really tough situation. Um, I did just find out that he may be planning on suing University of Tennessee. Oh, wow. I mean, it's on the topic, but the first thing I thought while reading this article is I think it's awesome that people can protest and be listened to. Like, I think that a lot of times when you're deciding on whether a coach 
comes to play for a team, it's all monetary. Like it's, oh, how are we going to gain from this coach? And I think that it's awesome that they actually listen to the people who are protesting and the people who are actually part of the community and are affected by this choice. And at the same time, I thought it was hard because there wasn't anything like linking them together, but I think that sexual assault is so serious and it was such a big case that I don't know if you should err on the side of caution, but I think that even if he wasn't directly associated, like the team is going to be associated with it, like by that effect because he was, I don't know, in that situation. Yeah, like now his name is just tied to this because of what The Rock said and because of how much attention it got on the internet. Because of that, if Tennessee had continued with the hiring process, that really would have hung over them for the rest of his career, maybe even after that. So that would have been something that, you know, said, hey, Tennessee is okay with something like this, even if he wasn't involved, just because of that connection. That is you know, unfortunate because as Yahoo Sports columnist Dan Wetzel pointed out, this is kind of like not great for his career because, you know, we don't know if he was involved and like, even though there's that potential there, there's really nothing tying him to it. But at the same time, you know, it is saying, hey, University of Tennessee takes this seriously. But I don't necessarily know that this was actually, they just, I don't think they, I just think they didn't want Greg Schiano to be their coach. I don't know how important the actual topic of sexual assault is to them. I know there are people who definitely do care, but I do think it's more about how they didn't want him to be their coach, and they saw this as a more compelling reason. Uh, so you to, think this was like an easy out for them to be like, this, we don't want to hire him and this is a reason why? Yeah. I don't think they care if he was involved or not. Why would and they not want him as a coach? Just He's an assistant coach at Ohio State. He basically failed out of the NFL. They actually really want Chris Peterson. I don't think Chris Peterson would Chris ever Peterson do that. Chris Peterson would never do that to Chris us. Chris Peterson is not going to leave us. And also, <laughs> I don't think he wants to coach at the SEC. In the SEC, he hates Pac-12 media enough. Um, and that's even worse. Tennessee is like throwing yourself into a fire. So basically, they want a better coach. This is the way that they saw to, you know, make sure Shiana wasn't hired. And so that's why even if he wasn't involved, it doesn't matter if he wasn't involved because they don't actually care if he wasn't involved. Mm -hmm. They're just saying, you know, he could be and we don't want him. It does kind of, I mean, I, who knows if he was involved, but either way, his name is tied to this forever. Exactly. And I don't know how, I don't know how I feel about that, but that's just an interesting, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard because it's just it's speculation on all like on our part. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I don't know. I feel like I'm inclined to just assume that the claims are real and that he probably whether or not he was involved with it, he was like aware or something. But at the same time, like it is a man and he does have this career and it is kind of like. Mm-hmm. And if he does decide mm-hmm. to sue Tennessee, this could potentially be a huge legal problem for them because if this really yeah. is the reason that they decided to not hire him and it turns out not to be substantiated then that's yeah that's you can't that's really bad yeah it's absolutely something he could sue for defamation and they had already signed a contract I don't know what kind of contract it was I don't know if it was like an official you're going to coach your contract but they had signed an agreement already so it's a very complicated issue yeah I don't know is so his contract is terminated with Ohio no he's technically still a coach there okay I, th- I feel like that would be weird, just going back after, like, I don't know. I tried to leave, but I couldn't, so I'm back. Yeah, and then now they're accusing him like he was part of that situation, and then going back, I think mm-hmm. that'd be... I mean, 
the coach, the head coach at Ohio State did defend him. And I okay. think, you know, they wouldn't be like, oh, you can't come back because you were looking for a higher paying job. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that they would be opposed to him coming back. But yeah, it's just, there's, it's a very complicated issue. I think if he does decide to sue, it'll continue to get even more complicated. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting. I, don't I think if he sues, he has a pretty decent he has standing a because, okay, let's, whether or not he was involved, he was never prosecuted of anything. He was never involved in the investigation mm-hmm. in Stan Dusky's investigation even, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's basically, there's hundreds of pages of interviews and documents and evidence, and his name doesn't come up. It doesn't come up, yeah. Yeah. So if it was such a so wide scope. So it's kind scope. of just speculation where people are like, if he was there, he had to have known something, but yeah. there isn't any evidence of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't really have an opinion on this, but. Yeah, it's kind of the stigma of association. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just. Yeah, and since we can't say if he was involved or not, like, we don't know. It's, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Yep. Mm-hmm. Continuing on the vein of college football, there is a rumor going around that if the Cleveland Browns get the first round, first overall pick in the draft, then Sam Darnold will decide to return to USC because he doesn't want to play for the Cleveland Browns. He's denied that rumor, but I was thinking we could talk about the idea of deciding where you get to play and, you know, what that decision would mean. I wouldn't want to play for the Browns. If I could play football, no one wants to play for the Browns. They're like, I don't think playing for a losing team that will continue to be a losing team sounds very fun because I don't think one person is going to be a difference maker for them. If he did make that decision because he didn't want to play for the Browns, like I would be like, okay, fair. But a lot of people don't agree with that. Yeah, I think it's the luck of the draw. I think when I was younger, I used to think that like, oh, they're going to go, like the best players are going to go bad teams. But I think it's... I mean, I don't really think that one person can save a team, but I think that one person may potentially alter the dynamic of a team and lead it on a different path. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just being optimistic. I mean, the same team is <laughs> kind of just... But I don't know. I think it's, like, it's part of football. Yeah, I feel like the draft is just, like, as an NHL fan, it's you, you go where you get drafted. And there are people who have made the choice to get drafted, not sign with the team, and become free agents. But... Since the NHL has a very different dynamic uh, than the NFL, where you get drafted before college, it's just entirely different. You get drafted in the NHL before college? Do? Yeah, you get drafted before college, and then either you leave college early, or you sign a contract and leave college early, or you become a free agent. The team, you force the team to give up your rights. Well, that is weird. <laughs> yeah, so Jimmy Vesey was drafted by the Nashville Predators and then he refused to sign with them. They traded his rights to the Buffalo Sabres, but after July 1st, he became an unrestricted free agent, and he ended up signing with the New York Rangers. He really did a lot to avoid that one team. And then they ended up making the Stanley Cup final that year. Made the right choice. (laughs) He did. That's interesting. That's really weird. Yeah, so college hockey, not a lot of people do that, actually. College hockey. College play ho- college hockey? No, most people will leave college early and like, or they'll sign with the team they got drafted to once they leave college. He just chose not to sign before July first, so he could become a free agent. Because so have, you could sign with the team before college, go through college, graduate, and then go. To you that can't team? sign until after you graduate. Otherwise, you lose your NCAA eligibility. Oh, but I mean, but you can graduate and sign with the team that drafted you if you sign before July first. You can get drafted in college, though, right? Yes, you can get drafted as long as you don't go to, like, a 
camp and you don't sign with the team. Interesting. That's really so then, are there just a lot of elite, like, high school players, or...? Yeah, there's an entirely different, like, um, development system for hockey. They have the junior leagues. Oh, okay. That's so weird. <laughs> I feel like college is a time where you kind of know yourself and find things out. I mean, it may be different for them. This is why I, I hockey players are so immature and stupid. <laughs> Says the number one hockey fan. They're really dumb. I love them, but they're dumb. I mean, if you let 18-year-olds do anything, like, there's going to be problems. Yes, and I mean, with the NBA, like, you see it now. People are, like, they don't go to school. They do yeah. one and done. Like, I don't know if you guys know who Grayson Allen is, but he's, yeah. like, one of the few people. I love Grayson Allen. I don't want to hear crap. But, like, he's Every one of the t- few people who are there. Like, he's there for four years. Everyone else is, like, out of college so quick. Well, every time I see news about Grayson Allen, he's tripped someone. No he's comment. just, like, going around injuring people. <laughs> Like, okay. Though, I mean, like, if I if I got into, if you could, can get into Duke on a, like, scholarship, it's kind of worth it to go to Duke. Yeah. I feel like. Some schools produce, like, Duke, Kentucky is the same. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Vesey, the guy I talked about earlier, he's, he went to college at Harvard. So he obviously wanted to finish his education yeah. at Harvard. Yeah. Most of the Ivy League guys do their whole college career. Well, yeah, because mm-hmm. you got to an Ivy, you might as well finish. Yeah. Exactly. There's no point in going to one year in Harvard. And it's like the reputation, like Harvard's a brand. Like, yeah. You get a, if you get a, I don't know, yeah. you major there. Every time yeah. Alex Kalorn on the Tampa Bay Lightning scores, like every single response to the tweet, like saying that he scored is like, did you know he went to Harvard? <laughs> it's like a meme now. It's great. Just a quick question. How long, like, how long would you say that people stay in college then if they drafted before? A year or two, usually. What's the Um, point of that? Yeah, like, you get some decent hockey and you develop. Yeah. So you don't have to play in the AHL. Like, a lot of guys will finish a year or two. If they lose in the championship, they'll sign with their team a couple days later and then go and play for their AHL team until the end of the year. And then they'll get called up to the NHL team the next season. So like Zach Wierenski did that, ended up winning the AHL championship because they were like, hey, you should come win this cha- help us win this championship and then you'll play in the NHL next year. And he was like, cool, I don't need to finish my last two years at University of Michigan. Damn, I mean, you might as well. You gotta- yeah. He's he's making like almost a million dollars a year, so like, Dang. fair. I know that's the thing. Like, I don't know. You leave college and you already you're set. Like, you're gonna make money for the rest of your life. Okay, maybe not for mm-hmm. the rest of your life. But if you're a good enough player and you're doing one of done, you know. Mhm. I mean, like, I think you should have a backup plan. Oh, I definitely think. But so. you know, some of these guys are like, hey, I don't need a backup plan. And I guess if you don't think you need one, then that's your decision. Yeah. And you, I think you grow as a player, too. Like, you're just a seasoned player mm-hmm. versus, like, I don't know, doing four years versus just going. But. Yeah, you get you get more development, more experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, like, college is completely different from a professional league, but it still yes. does get you that training and that experience playing on a team that's not a high school team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the sport is becoming increasingly individual that I feel like uh, it just follows the path. Yeah. I think. Basketball is so individual now. Especially. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then we got one more hot take. So we want to talk about the FIFA World Cup. FIFA president Gianni Infantino has promised to take a hardline approach against racism and doping at next year's World Cup in Russia. Uh, that's a direct quote from me. 
eagle.com. So basically, there are several players who have spoken about being subject to racist abuse in Russia, and there's also a lot of issues of doping involving Russia, especially at the last Olympics. So FIFA is saying they're going to take a zero-tolerance approach to both racism and doping, which doping is something that I feel like people already take pretty seriously. But racism is something that FIFA has been having issues with for a while, especially from fans. And so basically what they're saying is they will stop games if necessary. They're being having a very hardline approach to racism. I think this is a really positive thing. I don't know how successful it will be and like how what a hardline approach will how that'll play out once the World Cup actually starts. I think it's a good goal to have. Yeah, I think I have the same. I think it's a great thing to, you know, take a non-tolerance approach to racism. I think that should be everywhere. But I'm curious to see whether that will be out of their revenue or if it'll just be like playing time, the ability. I don't know. I think it'll be interesting because I think a hardline approach is going to be very ambiguous to different people. And a lot of times it comes out of wages. And I don't know if I consider that a hard approach. Yeah, I think in practice it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because there's a lot of different ways you could go with it. Are they enacting this, like, now? Is that right? It's it's for the World Cup, which starts um, next year. They said, we made the experience of the Confederations Cup very peaceful, and so they want this to be a peaceful and secure environment because there are a lot of people of color in professional soccer, and so that's something that's really... Uh, that really affects them. Depends on where in Russia the World Cup is. It just says Russia. I would be interested to see what they say about queer fans of soccer. There's not that many out soccer players and I doubt that they would be going to the World Cup, but Russia isn't very welcoming towards queer people. In fact, they've actually been killing queer people. So that's something that I would be interested they're taking this very hard approach to racism, but I, th- I think it's just racism. And I do think that's really important because racism is something that is a big problem in soccer, but there are a lot of people who would still be unsafe for other reasons. So the fans complaining, is that towards the way that they treat the players or the way that they treat the fans? Or... So the racism thing is basically players talking about how they've been treated okay. in Russia. So I know that in the past there has been like really racist things coming from fans. I think it happened in Mexico as well. But so that's what they're trying to focus on is trying to prevent like racist abuse from fans in the crowd, which I think is really positive. Like you don't want players to be enduring racist abuse while they're trying to play soccer. It should be about the game. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how this goes and if they can expand the policy to like you were saying, homophobic comments, other types of derogatory statements towards the players yeah i wonder how they're gonna i mean it's a no tolerance but i wonder how they're gonna draw the line how no tolerance it's gonna be yeah Mm -hmm. especially as so yeah they were russia was awarded rights in 2010 so that was a while ago it was so i see they're playing in 12 different 11 different cities that's why there's no specific city that it's like that makes sense well yeah because there's a lot of different teams in the world cup so they'll have a lot of different locations just because soccer (laughs) arenas are really big and there's not more than two in every city. Yeah, so all of the cities are in European Russia. That is, I feel like, significant. Are they, just a quick question, is this, they're not enacting this just for the World Cup, are they? They're talking about it specifically for this event, 
but I would hope it's more of like setting a precedent for the future as well. Yeah. And it is specifically because it is in Russia, because there are players who have been subjected to racist abuse in Russia itself. And so this is a specific policy that is being enacted because of the country where the World Cup is being hosted. Thanks for listening to Play Like a Girl. You can find us at uwpodcast.com or on iTunes, and you can follow along on Twitter at uwplaylikeagirl. Next week will be our last episode, so be sure to tune into that. Science, technology, engineering, and math. My name is Prapanit Dua, and I host a podcast called Women in STEM, where I sit down and talk with men and women in different STEM fields about where their careers have taken them, and I also discuss important issues surrounding women in these fields. Join me every other Tuesday on the Soundbite Network from the University of Washington. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.